The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. And first pitch crushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. What is going on with Corbin Burns? Welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today on Tuesday, May 23rd. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White. Here's how we're going to do this. The first half of the podcast is basically going to be all negativity, <laughs> just looking at pitchers who struggled, hitters who are struggling this season, and then we'll get into the good stuff, the hitters that have bounced back this year, some deep league outfielders, and much more. Before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already, and if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We really do appreciate it. Let's jump in, Scotty. I don't believe it! Well, which struggling pitcher from Monday night would you like to start with, Scott? Because you got a bunch. Well, you already claimed Corbin Burns, so I will start with somebody else. I'll start with Gavin Stone, making his second career start here for the Dodgers. And as I pointed out when we first got word that he was joining the rotation, rejoining the rotation... Uh, it's hard to get excited about him because his major league debut, which incidentally came on the same day that Brandon fought, made his major league debut. It was bad and not just bad in terms of result, but, uh, the changeup, which was supposed to be his make or break pitch. It didn't, it was, it was completely ineffective. Uh, I'd been saying it only got one whiff. It actually got two, but on like 
33 tosses. It got two whiffs. So it was, you know, it wasn't the world beater it was made out to be. And so I wasn't enthusiastic for Gavin Stone's return. And maybe my lack of enthusiasm was justified because here in his second start against the Braves, Gavin Stone allowed five runs in four innings. He he walked five. He struck out only one. It was ugly. An ugly outing here for Stone. But looking under the hood here, I see a few more reasons for optimism than in that first start. So four of the five runs came in the first inning. Two of the five walks came in the first inning. The next three innings were better. But even more than that, 14 whiffs on 79 pitches. That's a really good rate. He got six on the fastball. He got six on the changeup. The the stuff played up more. It, It was more as advertised. The walks are going to be an issue if that continues. And, and, and he was having problems with them at AAA, too. It's worth pointing out. So I don't think this is, you know, I, I don't think this is a situation, obviously, given the results, where it's like, oh, we got to pick up Gavin Stone here. Not at all. But rather than saying with this second bad start, okay, it's over and done. Stone is not going to be of any use to us ever, which is the reaction I could have following this start my reaction is more all right let's keep an eye on it let's let's keep monitoring stone there, there may be something to work with here there may be a chance still he turns into a fantasy asset but obviously that hasn't happened yet yeah i had the same takeaway scott it was i think mostly bad i mean a lot lots of hard contact yeah. and the walks here were an issue but you point out the 14 swinging strikes on 79 pitches for gavin stone that is a 17.7 percent swinging strike rate the Braves do swing and miss quite a bit, but they're also one of the best lineups in baseball. So it's, I think that part of it was pretty impressive for Stone. Um, but yeah, still kind of a mixed bag, mostly bad here uh, through two starts for him. He's 53% rostered, Scott. We spoke about a bunch of names yesterday, waiver wire pitchers. Let's say you have Stone on your team, but James Paxton or Michael Kopech, who had that great start over the weekend, those guys are available. Would you drop Stone to uh, pick those two up? Yeah, no, I don't think Stone is... Really even, like I I wasn't prioritizing him on the same level of those guys before he made this start. And, you know, even though I'm finding silver linings to this start, it was still a bad start, as you point out. Like, there's no reason to raise, (laughs) to elevate him in priority based on this start. All right, well, let's talk about Corbin Burns, Scotty, who had another rough outing against the Houston Astros. The Astros are getting healthy. Notable that Jose Altuve was not in the lineup, actually, on Monday. Five innings, seven hits, five runs allowed with five strikeouts for Corbin Burns. Four homers allowed in the start. That is a career high. Only had eight swinging strikes on 91 pitches. Obviously gave up a decent amount of hard contact. 90.5 average exit velocity against. And now on the season, a 397 ERA, a 1-2-2 whip. Less than a strikeout per inning, 8.1K per nine with over three walks per nine. And that's basically the issue right there is that the strikeouts have come down quite a bit and the walks have gone up. We're talking the walks per nine up exactly one walk year over year. Last year, 2.3. This year, 3.3. The swinging strike rate is down nearly three percentage points from 15% last year to 12.3% this season for Corbin Burns. The whiff rate is down 
it's not down tremendously, but it's down just enough on all four of his main pitches where that's where that's how you see the swinging strike rate and, and overall the strikeouts drop. The cutter velocity has also been down one mile per hour year over year. So that's what's standing out to me so far, Scott. And I kind of wanted to transition this into another conversation about how aces in general have been a letdown this year. But before we get into that, your thoughts on, on Corbin Burns and what's going wrong this year. It's been really confounding because it, for the most part, he's pitched well. There have been these very uh, concerning underlying elements that we've made reference to before. And, uh, you know, at times I've thought about dropping him a lot more in my rankings than I have. I've, I've dropped him from the top spot to, I think, third or fourth in my rankings prior to this start. And I was tempted to move him down more just because of, you know, he hasn't looked dominant. He hasn't overpowered hitters the way we're used to seeing Corbin Burns do. And would there eventually be a comeuppance for that? And and maybe that's what we saw here with this start. But, and, and you kind of alluded to this, you look at it at a more granular level rather than just the overall strikeout rate, the overall swing strike rate. And it doesn't look as concerning, you know? So his, his top two pitches are the cutter and curveball. He throws them combined about 70% of the time. And, okay, whiff rate on the cutter last year, 28%. This year, it's 25%. Whiff rate on the curveball last year, 48%. This year, it's 42%. I mean, just those whiff rates on their own are still very impressive on those two pitches, and it's not like a dramatic drop from one year to the next. Same thing if you're talking about batting average against. Last year on the cutter, 213. This year, 220. Last year on the curveball, 127. This year, 130. The velocity is down on each pitch about a mile per hour. A little more than that on the curveball, actually. But the effects of that aren't showing up in the data when you're looking at it just on a pitch-by-pitch basis. Like you said, overall, you know, there's, there's like a, a, a cumulative effect that is making it appear much more concerning. But... I don't know. I look at that and it it seems more than likely to me that Corbin Burns is going to pull out of this just because it's like nothing individually is that askew, you know? That's how I kind of see it. So, I mean, should we treat him like a top five pitcher going forward? I don't know about that. But it would be hard for me to drop him out at the top 10 rest of season because there aren't, I don't think there are, there are 10 pitchers that are slam dunk aces in fantasy. And so maybe Corbin Burns now isn't either, but he has a better chance of becoming one than a lot of them do. Mm-hmm. And it's not like Corbin Burns has been this disaster. It's just relative to where he was drafted, you know, a borderline first round pick, a second round pick as either the top or the second pitcher drafted, it's, you know, an ERA approaching four, that's that's not going to get it done. And if you look at his last 20 starts dating back to last year as well, he struggled a little bit in the second half. A 4.12 ERA and a 1.15 whip over his last 20 starts with less than a strikeout per inning. Those are just not ace numbers. Those are not, you know, that's not even really a top 10 starting pitcher, let alone, you know, being drafted as a top three starting pitcher this season. I wanted to point out just... Coming into the year, the the ADP for starting pitchers, right? So Corbin Burns was the top pitcher drafted. Just going to kind of run through like the top 10, let's say. Corbin Burns, Garrett Cole, Sandy Alcantara, Aaron Nola, 
Jacob DeGrom, Spencer Strider, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Shane McClanahan, Brandon Woodruff. Of that group, Shane McClanahan, Strider, Cole, those guys have been great. Corbin Burns has been okay. Like a 30 or a 40% hit rate on the top 10 starting pitchers drafted so far. I mean, I would say if you put that up against years past, that that's probably pretty low. And even if you stretch it out a little bit further, Brandon Woodruff has been hurt. Dylan Cease has been a letdown. Shane Bieber, for as much as we're telling people to sell high, he mostly has been good so far this year. Julio Rios is hurt, and he was, you know, Kind of a letdown before that. Zach Wheeler has been kind of up and down this year. Alec Manoa, disaster. Max Fried is hurt. Christian Javier has been good. Darvish has been okay. Gosman has been very good. Framber Valdez. That's the top 20. You're looking at less than a 50% hit rate right now on the top 20 starting pitchers drafted. And I know normally when we start up our analysis every year and we do our pitching preview, Chris will always point out that you're more likely to get a return on your investment on the early round starting pitchers, yet... That really hasn't been the case so far this year. Maybe that'll change. Again, we're only, whatever, a month and a half, two months into the season. But it's, you know, for Aces, it's it's kind of been a rough go so far this season overall. So I just wanted to put things in perspective that it's not only Corbin Burns, but he has mm-hmm. been a, a bit of a letdown so far this year. I don't know if you have anything else on everything that I just ran through, Scott. Well, you bring up some good points. Uh, I'll also point out that even though Garrett Cole has had more success than Corbin Burns to this point, he's suffering from the same issues. Last year, Garrett Cole's K per nine was 11.5. This year, it's 9.8. Last year, Garrett Cole's swinging strike rate was 14.3. This year, it's 11.5. The drop in those measurements has been comparable to Burns. And so I've, I've kind of been waiting for the other shoe to drop on Cole as well that might necessitate a move down the rankings but uh, also to your point like who 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 deserves to go ahead of them you can make the case McClanahan and Strider do and I have moved them ahead of Burns already yeah same uh you can make the case Otani does even though he, he doesn't start every fifth day reliably that was one you didn't mention, and I know the way he was drafted is kind of weird. So it's you know yeah. it's, it's hard to say. Oh, he's one of the top twenty starting pitchers drafted. Do you even count him as a starting pitcher drafted? But you can start him a pitcher, and he's a really valuable in that role. You mentioned Christian Javier as one who's lived up to expectations. Yes, but also no. I mean, if if your expectations for Christian Javier was big breakout, uh, you know, competing with Spencer Strider in his in in terms of like that hasn't happened. He's justified his draft spot, but right. it, you know he's for for what many were touting him to be, he's been a little underwhelming too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, some people have asked me, okay, knowing what you know now, where the ball doesn't seem to be, uh, the ball seems to be livelier than last year, and the shift ban may be having more of an impact on pitchers than we thought. Would you prioritize pitching? early in drafts. I, I, I don't know that that's justified. I, I, I don't know if it's the high-end pitchers falling as much victim to that as anybody else or if it's more... Or, or if it has something to do with the crackdown on the, the sticky substances, which has supposedly been ramped up this year, as they've said a few years in a row now. Mm-hmm. But every year they say, this is the time it's really going to happen. And um, 
you know, when we saw the clearest effects of that, when it was first implemented midway through 2021, right? Yes. What we saw in the immediate aftermath of that, where everybody was most cognizant of it, we did kind of see flattening at the top where the most dominant pitchers became a little less dominant. And so I'm wondering if, if, if this is a side effect of that again, it's just speculation on my part. Obviously it's always a little awkward to do because you're, you know, you're, you're kind of casually accusing people of (laughs) circumventing the rules, but you know, I, I don't think it's a big secret that a lot of pitchers, pitchers use sticky substances if they can get away with it. Hey, Scotty, if you're not cheating, you ain't trying. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just kind of wanted to put that all in perspective. It has been a you know a disappointing start to the season for Corbin Burns, but it has been that way for many other starting pitchers drafted in the first three or four rounds as well. Want to give a shout out here, maybe Scott, you know, plug your ears. If you got to go use the bathroom, get up and leave. Uh, I wanted to give a shout out to Freddie Freeman, who went three for five with his ninth home run. He added three RBI and two runs scored against his former team in Atlanta. I don't care what anyone says. I tweeted something out about it on Twitter and like people are like, oh, does he really care? I think he cares. (laughs) I think, you know, Freddie Freeman does something against the Braves in Atlanta. I I think it probably matters a little bit more for him. Uh, He's batting now 328 with nine homers and six steals with a 968 OPS. And uh, entering Monday's action, he was the fifth best player overall in Roto this season. So, obviously, it has been a a great start to the year for Freddie Freeman. A few other pitchers who got off to, uh, who had some rough outings here on Monday. I don't know that there's anything too worrisome with any of them, Scott. But uh, Charlie Morton, in that same game, he gave up six runs over five innings pitch. He gave up two homers. Lots of hard contact in this one. Still has a 361 ERA. A 141 whip, obviously, that's that's very high for uh, Charlie Morton here. Chris Bassett, not at his best, uh, did have some bad defense behind him. Two errors, gave up six runs. Only two of them were earned. Three homers allowed at the Tampa Bay Rays. And Bailey Ober, as much as we love him, he is human. He had a rough first inning against the Giants and then settled in. He gave up five, uh, gave up four runs over five innings pitched. Only two strikeouts to three walks. Anything you'd like to add on the struggles of Bailey Ober, Chris Bassett, or Charlie Morton? I mean, Bassett, it it still wasn't, for, from a fantasy perspective, I know he gave up some unearned runs, but it, it still was a solid stat line. He still was a quality start. Two earned runs he allowed were the first he's allowed in all of May. So there's really, there's, there's really nothing to get too frustrated about there. Charlie Morton, he was trending the right way. He had actually gotten his ERA below three three prior to this start it was down to 2.85 with a high whip as you point out and it may be that in this new environment with the the shifts gone him being a ground ball pitcher he's going to trend toward a higher whip that just may be part of his profile now gotta keep the home runs down of course that was an issue for him last year as well this was the fifth and sixth home runs he's allowed in nine starts so that's better I think the ground ball rate has been up, so it would make sense. Uh, it's better, but I'm not sure it's quite where we want it to be for Charlie Morton. And and we may just be done with the idea that Charlie Morton can be a high-end must-star pitcher for you. Doesn't mean he can't be a quality streaming option, You know, maybe on the level of... Uh, I was going to say Merrill Kelly, but that 
you know, I might prefer Merrill Kelly to Charlie Morton at this point, but you know, at that, at that level, maybe like the way we were regarding Melly, Merrill Kelly last year. Uh, I think, I think that's fine. If, if you're, if you kind of recalibrate your expectations for him in that way, and based on where he was drafted, that's kind of how everybody was viewing Charlie Morton anyway. I was encouraged by the way Bailey Ober bounced back from a very rough first inning. I was worried this was going to be a total disaster start for him and uh, everybody was going to be mad at me for making him my top sleeper pitcher for this week. But he ended up with an okay stat line. His whip for the game was an even one. And even though he walked three, I'm sorry, it wasn't an even one, six base runners in five innings. Even though he walked three, he threw 64.4% of his pitches for strikes, which is a pretty good strike rate. He was still pretty efficient, 76 pitches to get through five innings. I think there's still a lot to like with Bailey Ober. I'm not abandoning him because of the start. Well, I would like to apologize to anyone out there, Scott, who started either or both of Michael Lorenzen or Brady Singer because uh, pitching against each other in the <laughs> same game, both were yeah. pretty, pretty bad. So, uh Look. Hey, streaming pitcher sucks. I say it every time. <laughs> I did not I did not uh, see fit to start Singer myself, though I had to include him among the 10 sleeper pitchers. I did start Michael Lorenzen in a league or two, so that Same. was disappointing. Yep, he had been pitching really well, but, you know, I guess eventually, you know, things come back down to earth, and that's what happened here with Michael Lorenzen. Let's take our first break. When we return, I've got two hitters I want to talk about that have struggled big time since coming back from injury. We'll do that right after this. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Welcome back, and a quick reminder to download and follow Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, wherever you listen to this podcast. That's our five-minute podcast that we do Monday through Saturday, and we basically pick the highlights of the night, the biggest news, and we go over it. So listen to that in addition to this podcast. If you're watching us live on YouTube, you can scan the QR code in the top right corner. That will take you right to the podcast. Two hitters, Scott, that have struggled big time since coming back from injury, Tim Anderson, Went 0 for 3 with a walk on Monday. Over his last 19 games, he is batting 213 with zero, zero extra base hits. Only one steal, a caught stealing during that time, a 69% ground ball rate, and an 89.3 average exit velocity. Let's talk about him first before we get into Michael Harris, who, gosh, I mean, people are just, they've had enough with Michael Harris. Um, I don't really know what we could say to do with Tim Anderson. I guess. You know, in a shallower league, you can throw him on your bench. 
if you play in like a 10 team points league, you might even be able to drop somebody like Tim Anderson. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if he gets back on track, but you know, I mean, even going back to last year, he was all right last year, but when he came back from injury, once again, he, he really wasn't himself. So I don't know. Latest thoughts on Tim Anderson. Well, shortstop is kind of a weird position because in a certain league context, it's very deep. In another league context, it's very scarce. Like if you're talking a 12-team roto lineup where everybody starts a middle infielder, then you kind of have to hoard shortstops because there's just not a lot of new ones emerging. But if you're talking like the the, the scenario you presented, a 10-team head-to-head league where there's just the one shortstop spot, uh, and I've, I've made this case for Carlos Correa too. Like I, I, gen, I generally believe in Carlos Correa and think he's going to bounce back and have a nice season, but there are enough shortstops to go around in that sort of format that it's not unthinkable you could drop him. I mean, you certainly don't want to be starting him right now. And I would put Tim Anderson in that same category. His expected batting average is 285, which is actually higher than it was two years ago. So it's, it's a high expected batting average. And, uh, you know, obviously the production hasn't been there given that he, oh, he's only 29. So I, it would be surprising if this was the beginning of the end for him. I, I don't think we could dismiss the rust, the rust factor. You know, he kind of had to start his season all over with the time he missed and uh, was, is competing against a bunch of players who didn't. And it might just take him longer to come around, I think. I think in those very shallow leagues, okay, there are enough options to work with that you can move on. But if anything deeper, Tim Anderson deserves your patience. All right, let's talk about Michael Harris, who went 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. And since returning from the IL, he is batting 143 with one homer, two steals, a 20% strikeout rate. The strikeout rate actually isn't bad, but not really impacting the ball very hard. 87.2 average exit velocity. The line drive rate is very low. The ground ball rate is a little bit higher than you'd like it to be at 49%. And uh, looking at his breakdown against certain pitches, Michael Harris is hitting just 135 against fastballs this year and .067 against off-speed pitches. Oddly enough, he's doing very well against breaking pitches, but uh, I don't know how to explain that or, or, you know, what that on uh, means in the grand scheme of things for Michael Harris. But I don't know, Scott, what do you, is it kind of the same thing as Tim Anderson where, you know, he just kind of had to get his season restarted here. It's people have a bunch of questions. You know, I, we all had Michael Harris as a bust this year. So like, I don't know that we're overly surprised that he's struggling, but it was more so for where he was being drafted. Not that he was going to completely implode like he is right now. Yeah. And I'm skeptical that that's what's happening. Like, I, I view Michael Harris more as a buy. Well, it'd be funny to call him a sell at this point, I guess, when he's batting about 160. <laughs> but I would be willing to buy him for uh, 60 cents on the dollar, let's say. Because a lot of the things we were worried about coming in, the bad plate discipline, the extremely high ground ball rate, they've actually gotten better. His quality of contact this year comparable to last year he may be having some trouble with fastballs i remember last year when he first came up he had like a bad first week and then he made some kind of mechanical adjustment and that's what allowed him to take off so he's shown he's shown the ability to tweak things and and find himself again when he's struggling this has obviously gone on longer than that did but i think in the long run you're going to be happy you held on to him if you do 
So you said 60 cents on a dollar. I'm trying to find the appropriate range here, but I don't know, like one of these hot starts, Jaron Duran, Brent Rooker. Would you yeah, try and sell yeah. one of those for Michael Harris if you could? I mean, Rooker slowed down. Right. So, so has, I, don't, I don't even know if you could do that, but if you could, that'd be great. So yeah, has, absolutely. So is Duran too. I mean, as, as much as I like Yeah, and, and I consider, I, it's funny, I was actually writing earlier today about Christopher Morell. A good, uh, a good fourteen hundred words on whether or not you should sell high on Christopher Morel, and in there I talked about. Uh, I wanted to write about other potential sell high hitters, but I didn't find enough good candidates because a lot of them are in the same boat that I think Christopher Morel was just in, where people have been slow to buy in, and when they have, it's kind of been begrudgingly, and you look at. Jaron Duran, for as as hot as he started, he's only 75% rostered. So we're still kind of more in the do you add him conversation as opposed to do you trade him. But if you can trade him, I, I do I would consider him a sell high candidate. And and uh like I just said, Michael Harris is a buy low candidate. So that would be a swap that would work for me. Sure. How about this one, Scott? Would you give up James Outman to get Michael Harris just based on the overall numbers yeah. because I know Outman has really slowed down in May as well. Well, how far have you moved Harris down in your rankings? Because I haven't moved like I probably need to move him down a little more. Yeah, I agree. I've been reluctant to move him. I moved him down some. I know with my last update, and it just you know the the longer this continues, obviously the more I'm going to move him down. But I'm probably let me check here. I have him at 18, so I have dropped yeah. him a little bit from where we started the year. But if you look at this range in the outfield, it's guys that are, look, Harris is not proven, but I think we can all agree he still has massive upside. But guys like Kyle Schwarber, George Springer, Byron Buxton, Teoscar Hernandez, Starling Marte, I mean, those guys are pretty proven and they're all off to slow starts. So that whole group right. is just kind of hard to rank right now. And I have more confidence in Harris than any of them. I, I do wonder when we're going to get to a point where we have to move like the Masataka Yoshida. Uh, Cody Bellinger's hurt now, but Alex Verdugo, Jared Kelnick, when we have to move them all ahead of that Teoscar Hernandez, Starling Marte, maybe even Michael Harris group. We're, we're probably getting close to doing that. Yeah. But I haven't done it yet. Hey, the cutoff is usually Memorial Day, right, Scott? So right around the corner. I, I mean, with the way Jared Kelnick... He had another huge game today. He homered off a lefty. It was the second straight game that he's homered off a lefty. He's up to 10 home runs. He's still batting over 290. As as of right now, and my rankings, I guess, tomorrow when I update them, will need to reflect this. I can't say I'd trade Jared Kelnick for Michael Harris. I'd I'd have to draw the line there. Yeah. But the, the point is, uh, there aren't a lot of great outfielders, and so I'd still be willing to trade most of them for Harris. All right, well, let's get into the good performances here, Scott. This is the shift change in the podcast, and these are mostly names for deep leagues, but uh, I brought up Marcelo Zuna recently. I wanted to talk about both him and Eddie Rosario, who had big games here on Monday, and Eddie Rosario in the month of May is hitting 270 with two homers, 12 RBI, and a 721 OPS. Marcelo Zuna in the month of May hitting 351 with six homers, 16 RBI, and 15 games. More than an RBI per game for Ozuna in the month with an 1133 OPS. 
seeing a lot of questions in the chat about Mickey Moniak. Is he for real? He went two for four with his third home run in just nine games played. A former first overall pick, not just a first round pick. First overall pick in the MLB draft a long, long time ago. Still striking out a lot, though. 39% strikeout rate. And uh, Leody Tavares, very quietly, has hit very well in the month of May. Two for three with a run scored. And so far this month, hitting 391 with one homer, four doubles, 11 runs scored, 12 RBI, and four steals. So not a ton of power, but outside of that, producing across the uh, board right now for Leody Tavares. Scott, more so for five outfielder leagues. What are your thoughts on uh, the Braves guys, Moniak and Leody Tavares? I haven't been particularly motivated to add any of them. I see the upside in all of them but they do seem like low probability plays. I mean, my favorite is probably Ozuna, and we talked about him on yesterday's show, kind of how I'm approaching him right now, where it's impossible to trust him. I haven't wanted to get him in my lineup anywhere, but he, we have seen him produce like an elite outfielder multiple times in the past, and we've seen him recover from down stretches where we were pretty much riding him off. And, and get back to being that before as well. So uh, that that seems like uh, enough upside to stash him. And, and I think Ozuna of these four is the only one. Let's see, who did you say? Laoti Tavares, Eddie Rosario, Mickey Moniak. Yeah, I, I think Ozuna is the only one with that kind of upside that, that makes him a potential stash. These others I don't think have it at least not for 12-team, five-outfielder leagues. It doesn't mean you can't use them as a hot hand play. I, I worry about Moniak's strikeouts as productive as he's been so far. I mean, that's it's just striking out way too much. And obviously, every time he plays, that eats into Taylor Ward's playing time. Not that Ward has had a good start to the season, but if we're betting on who's the better going forward, I'm still going to take Ward. Uh, Eddie Rosario, they don't play him much against lefties. How much power does he have, really? I think uh, I think there's there's there are some pretty clear limits to his ceiling, and same thing with Tavares. Speaking of Taylor Ward, by the way, still 84 percent rostered, and he was out of the lineup on Monday. He's batting 227 on the season with a 622 OPS. The expected number is not great either: 238 xBA, 372 x slug. What are we doing with uh, Taylor Ward? Is he a drop at this point? In three outfielder leagues, like I just dropped him in the podcast listeners league, the 12 team points league with only three outfield spots. I just dropped him. Lourdes Gurriel was still out there. Christopher Morel is actually still out there. I picked them both up. Uh, so that was, that was the caliber of outfielder I was dropping him for. I mean, pretty high end guys, but um, yeah, I mean, if you see somebody who your heart desires, <laughs> like I, I wouldn't let, I wouldn't let your preconceptions about Taylor Ward stand in the way. Five outfielder leagues, you probably need to hold on to him. I doubt you're going to do... I, I doubt there's enough available at that position to make him the one to drop. Yeah, like I would be okay dropping Taylor Ward for the top sleeper hitters, right? That you that we talked about leading into this week, like Jorge Soler or even a Brian De La Cruz, right? And, and he went out and had a four-hit game on Monday as well. Yep. So uh, yeah, I, I think... Mean, it, if, at this point, you can go with kind of some, like you mentioned, the hot hand approaches over yeah, at Taylor Ward at this exactly. point. Exactly. Yeah. Let's get into some 
I think also mostly deep league pitchers. Do any of these names matter? Luis Ortiz had a great start up against the Rangers. Seven and two-thirds, two runs allowed, four strikeouts in that one. Josh Fleming, the overall numbers are actually okay for him so far. He went six innings, two runs, two strikeouts against Toronto. He's got a 359 ERA and a 131 whip, well below a strikeout per inning for him. Tommy Henry has allowed exactly two earned runs in three of his last four starts, and he had 18 swinging strikes on Monday. That was a career high at the Philadelphia Phillies. Tanner Houck actually looked really good at the Angels. Six innings, one run, eight strikeouts with 17 swinging strikes. And Jaime Berea, his first start of the season back in the Angels rotation up against the Red Sox. Very tough matchup. He went five shutout innings with six strikeouts, zero walks, 12 swinging strikes on 64 pitches. That is an 18.7% swinging strike rate. Uh, again, Scott, mostly deep league names here, but any thoughts on uh, Berea, Tanner Houck, Tommy Henry, Josh Fleming, and Luis Ortiz? Yeah, there's nobody here that I'm especially moved to pick up yet, but Tanner Houck is starting to look awfully interesting. The ERA is still 499. But the expected ERA is a run lower than that. The XFIP even lower. Uh, he has been getting a ton of swinging strikes lately. Um, let's see, what was it exactly in this start? It was it was 17 on 83 pitches in this start. It was 15 on 75 pitches in his last start. So he's he hasn't needed a lot of pitches to get through these innings that he's throwing, and he's getting a lot of whiffs. He threw his cutter, I'm sorry, his splitter more in this start. He threw it 20% of the time. It was responsible for six of the 17 whiffs. It's a pitch he hasn't used a lot this year, but it has a 50% whiff rate. So if he continues with what he started here, featuring it more, then I think the upside only improves for Hauk. He puts the ball on the ground a lot. I, I think he's... And I made a stronger case for picking up Michael Kopech after his last start, but I think they're in a similar spot right now where a lot of the underlying metrics, certainly like in in terms of missed bats, which is the most valuable thing a pitcher can do, they're looking pretty encouraging at this point. And the forward-facing numbers just don't really back it up yet, but they could. And actually, in Houck's case, the, the control problems aren't as pronounced as Kopech's. So I don't know, maybe... Maybe if I was making a case to pick up Kopech, I probably should for Hauk too. I just don't feel like there's as much uh, competition for him yet, I guess. And with Tanner Hauk, he's only 26% roster, does have RP eligibility, so you can use him as a SPARP on CBS. A little bit of a cheat code there in head-to-head points leagues. And you mentioned the underlying numbers being good for him. He has just a 62% strand rate, so he has been unlucky in that regard. Again, that's Tanner Hauk. I wanted to mention with Tommy Henry... I don't think we're there yet with him. I think he's a name to watch, but his velocity was up over a mile per hour on each of his fastball and his curveball in this start. And again, a career high 18 swinging strikes. So don't think there's anything actionable yet, but let's just see where it goes. Some news and notes. Tyler Glass now is expected to make his season debut Saturday against the Dodgers. Let's say you play in a daily lineup league, Scott. Would you start Tyler, uh, Tyler Glass now against the Dodgers in his season debut? Probably not. Not with that matchup, and just as a general rule, I like to give pitchers a start to prove their health, to to make sure they're not rusty after a long layoff like he's had. So I'd, I'd probably shy away with it. But hey, if it goes great, hopefully we're 
starting him every start the rest of the season thereafter. All right, Max Freed is close to resuming throwing. The latest hope is for Freed to return sometime around the All-Star break. He's on the IL with a strained left forearm. Jazz Chisholm is taking part in upper body workouts, but remains in a walking boot because of the turf toe. Logan Webb will make his next scheduled start on Thursday at the Brewers, despite dealing with lower back soreness. Julio Arias is slated to throw a bullpen session this weekend and is hopeful to return in early June when first eligible. I said yesterday, I I didn't think he was going to be out very long, and when he returns, that means one of Gavin Stone or Bobby Miller will likely be sent back to the minors. Byron Buxton was back in the lineup Monday after setting out Sunday with uh, knee tightness. Eloy Jimenez is getting close to going out on a rehab assignment. He underwent an appendectomy on May 6th. Liam Hendricks looked, quote, really good in a live batting practice session Monday and is getting really close to returning to the White Sox. CJ Crone has yet to resume baseball activities. He's on the IL with lower back spasms. Clayton Kershaw was placed on the bereavement list Monday, but is expected to make his next start later this week. Justin Turner was back in the lineup Monday after missing the previous two. Seth Brown was activated by the A's. Jordan Diaz was optioned back to AAA. Scott, we spoke about some deeper league outfielders earlier. Where does Seth Brown kind of fit in that mix with uh, Leody Tavares, Mickey Moniak, and the Braves guys? Um, I'd probably put him behind Ozuna. I think, you know, obviously he had a nice, he delivered a nice power speed outcome last year, albeit with a low batting average. And I, I don't necessarily trust him to follow through on that, but he's going to get plenty of opportunities with A's because who else do they have? He hit a ball 109 miles per hour in his return tonight. So uh, I, I I think he's more likely to emerge as a starter in a five outfielder league than, say, Eddie Rosario is. All right. Again, that is Seth Brown with the A's. Luis Arias will begin a rehab assignment at AAA either Tuesday or Wednesday, and he's 42% rostered. For those looking for versatility in deeper leagues, Arias has second base, third base, and shortstop eligibility. Nick Prado was elevated to the leadoff spot for the Royals, while Bobby Witt Jr. was dropped to sixth in the lineup, which, ugh, that's obviously not a great spot to be in in a, a lineup that bad, so... Hopefully, Bobby Witt Jr. gets going. Eric Lauer was placed on the IL with a right shoulder impingement. That's his non-throwing shoulder. Colin Ray will start on Tuesday against the Astros. Brendan Rodgers is ahead of schedule and has a chance to return later this season. He underwent shoulder surgery back in March. And this was very interesting, Scott. In the Twins-Giants game, Edward Julian was batting cleanup against a right-handed opener for the Giants. Sean Manaya entered in the second inning, and Julian was pinch hit for without ever seeing a single pitch in the game. That stinks. Nothing says development like the Minnesota Twins. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, he has bad numbers against lefties in the minors. I get it. But at the same time, the Twins had to know that A, John Brebbia is a reliever, probably only going to open the game, and Sean Manaya was likely to be the bulk reliever in this start so just very weird um and then alex yeah, Kirloff like, actually let off the game and he was pinch hit for in the second inning he only got one at bat i i don't know it's weird yeah well i mean that's at least you're guaranteeing Kirloff and at bat it was it by batting julian cleanup 
there was no guarantee he'd be up in the first inning to face the right-hander. So, yeah, that's hard to that's hard to justify. It seems like the Twins were trying to out-giant the Giants with, within a game against the Giants. Let's take our final break, and when we return, talk about a few bounce-back seasons here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Big thanks to those watching us live. It's well past 1 a.m. Eastern time here. 570 people watching us, so hit that like button. We do appreciate you. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. A few bounce back seasons here, Scott. I wanted to focus on bounce back hitters at that. Whit Merrifield continues uh, to, once again, bounce back. Four for four with his second home run of the season. Obviously, there's not much power at this point, but a 287 batting average, 21 runs scored, 19 RBI, and 13 steals. Whit Merrifield was ranked the 110th overall player in Roto entering Monday. Does have that second base and outfield eligibility. Lourdes Gurriel, you mentioned the name earlier. He went four for four, hit his eighth home run of the season. He is now batting 321 with 28 runs, 27 RBI, a 938 OPS, a career best strikeout rate, 14.6%. And his home run to fly ball ratio is back up to the rest of his career. Last year looks like a clear outlier, likely because of that injury that he was playing with. Uh, he was the second, uh, 72nd overall player in Roto entering Monday. And uh, J.D. Martinez had a huge game. He had four hits, including a double dong, three batted balls over 106 miles per hour. And in 10 games since returning from the IL, J.D. Martinez is batting 293 with four homers and a 952 OPS. Scott, any thoughts on this group of uh, bounce-back candidates? J.D. Martinez, Lourdes Goriel, and Whit Merrifield. You know, Frank, you were asking me the other day, last week, the start of last week, in the Memorial Magazine, like standard Roto League, you needed a catcher in a pinch, and you were asking for Blake Sable. Who could who could you offer for Blake Sable? I almost said JD Martinez, but I shied away because I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to clog up my DH spot like that. I had a lot of corner infielders. Do you think a week ago you would have traded JD Martinez to meet that catcher need? Blake Sable. Waivers had already run, so that wasn't mm-hmm. an option. You just needed a catcher as quickly as you could get one, and I had an extra one at the time. Would I have done it? It's so hard to say coming off like this good game, right? It's like my immediate thought is probably not, but 
I don't know. It's hard to say back in that moment. Um, yeah, I might have. I might have done it. I I think I had Grandal as my second catcher, and he was like day to day, and so I I just needed a catcher. Yeah, and he ended up coming back the next day. So exactly. Yeah, didn't really lose anything. But what a what seems... a loser, by the way. I, I wound up benching JD Martinez this week in, in that league, and so I didn't even I didn't even get this big game that he had on Monday. Oh gosh. Yeah, I mean, look now he's got his expected batting average is two ninety three. That's ninety second percentile. This was before the two homer game, actually, right? I don't think those numbers have been factored in yet. I don't think so. Expected, no. bat, expected batting average two ninety three. That's ninety second percentile. Expected slug five seventy six. That's ninety sixth percentile. Uh, he was like hardly walking, and he still doesn't have a good walk rate, but it's gotten a little better. He plays literally every day for the Dodgers. So primo lineup spot. And suddenly I'm feeling really good about J.D. Martinez. Yes, I would have to say. Let's see. Who else did you mention here? Uh, Guriel. Yeah, I feel good about him. I mean, he might be performing a little beyond what he can sustain at this point. But I think he's a good hitter. He showed it in Toronto prior to last year. Hit for average. Hit for... Uh, above average power, not huge power, but I think uh, I think there's definitely a chance. Even in three outfielder leagues, he could be somebody you just keep in your lineup rest of season. And uh, you know, Merrifield's probably just a steal specialist at this point, but at least he's doing that again because he had kind of stopped doing that last year. Yeah, I mean, with Lourdes Guriel, he is in a contract year, so obviously looking to get paid and. Wouldn't surprise me if, you know, he could stay on the field, hit over 300, 20 homers with great counting stats. That that would be a really strong season for Guriel. And Whit Merrifield, man, he looks like he really enjoys these new these new stolen base rules because, uh, yeah, 13 steals already this season off the top of my head. Doing some quick math. What, he's on pace for 40-plus steals this year. So that's, yeah, that's definitely a, a contributor in that category uh, for Whit Merrifield. Let's get into some pitching standouts from uh, Monday's action. Dane Dunning was solid at the Pirates. I didn't include him in waiver wire because he's up to 78% rostered, so likely not available in your leagues. He went five and two-thirds, one run allowed, three strikeouts. Christian Javier makes it four straight quality starts. He was at the Brewers. Six innings, one run, five strikeouts with 14 swinging strikes, and Luis Castillo needed a strong start. And that's exactly what he got up against the Oakland A's. Six shutout with eight strikeouts, 22 swinging strikes on 101 pitches. And he was saving his best for these poor Oakland A's. Why, why would you do that? So, so mean, so inconsiderate. Uh, fastball and changeup were both up two miles per hour each for Luis Castillo in the start. Scott, any thoughts on him, Javier, and uh, Dane Dunning? I had hoped for more from Dunning, but I guess... <laughs> You know, he's already he's already given us so much, right? How how much longer can we expect him to be of any use at all? One and run in five and two thirds innings. I guess we can't complain about that so much. He has another start coming up later in the week, presumably. He was in line for two starts last week and didn't end up happening. Did not end up happening. So his two start week got pushed to this week. Hopefully he comes through. And uh yeah, Javier and Castillo, not much to add there. 
All right, some hitting leftovers. Yordan Alvarez went three for four with a double dong, added five RBI, and had two batted balls that were at least 110 miles per hour off the bat. Julio Rodriguez went three for four with two doubles, two runs scored, and an RBI. Jared Kelnick, two for three with a walk, and his 10th home run came off of a lefty that's back-to-back games with a homer. Uh, and uh, he is waking back up after a slow start to the month of May. Roddy Telez is quietly having a... Rowdy Telez type season. The batting average is up a little bit this year. 255 with 12 homers and an 897 OPS. We mentioned earlier Brian De La Cruz had a four-hit game, went four for four with two runs scored in Coors Field. And Scotty, sneaky sneak. I saw you in the Scott White Dynasty League. You picked Paul DeYoung back up, and he went two for five with his eighth home run and added four RBI in that game. I'm a genius against Brandon Williamson, who I started in multiple leagues because yeah. I was desperate. Gosh. Yeah. Well, it occurred to me <laughs> because Paul DeYoung was coming off this 33 point week. And I was saying on yesterday's show, I dropped him even in this 2014 league because I didn't ultimately believe in it. But I had somebody else I could have dropped instead. Uh, Zach Jackson, who just got hurt. Why didn't I drop him instead? Why didn't I drop him? Why did I do that with DeYoung? <laughs> and uh, you mentioned that you noticed DeYoung was out there, so I assumed you put in a pretty healthy bid for him. No, so I had I DeYoung. I didn't. You didn't? I don't know why well, I, I didn't. I mean, I had-, I, had him, I had him for $1 previously. <laughs> now I have him for $13. Ah. But at least I have him. And sure. he's still in my utility spot in that 2014 league where I am 6-1 and one currently. Mm. And... Uh, you know, I'll ride it for however long it lasts, but I'm still highly skeptical of Paul DeYoung, as is everybody else, given that he's rostered in 20% of leagues. I'll tell you what, Scotty. You know what would be fun? Not just for the sake of this league, but for the podcast. If we can get a little Scott White, Frank Stanfield showdown in the championship of the Scott White Dynasty League, that would be something. Now that would be something. You're six and one. I'm five and two in this league so far. So this is the first year I feel semi-competitive and lots of ammo in the tank. I've I've got to figure out what to do. So uh, should be should be a pretty fun season. Let's see where it goes. Few bullpen updates for the Guardians. Emmanuel Class A got back on track with a clean inning for his 16th save for Tampa Bay. Pete Fairbanks allowed a hit and a walk, but got the final two outs for his fifth save of the season. For the Diamondbacks, one day after hyping up Miguel Castro, he entered in the seventh inning with a runner on first and a two-run lead. He did allow two hits and one of those runs to come in. Andrew Chafin later pitched a scoreless ninth inning for his seventh save. I don't know that there's much rhyme or reason with the Diamondbacks because if you asked me heading into Monday, I would have said Chafin was kind of that fireman reliever and he would come in in a situation like that. But for whatever reason, they went with Castro earlier and Chafin later on. For the Cardinals, Ryan Helsley pitched a clean ninth and then stayed out there for the 10th. That ghost runner. Do we call it a ghost runner, Scott? What's the official verbiage for that? I don't, I don't even know. I don't know. I've seen people call it ghost runner. I think that I think that just started as a cutesy thing because obviously that, that harkens back to the days on the wiffle ball field. But that was a very different thing. Like a ghost runner was... Not a person. There was nobody standing there. It was an invisible runner that I guess ran at the same speed as you. That's what made it a ghost. And this is not a ghost. (laughs) This is an actual person who could be thrown out 
unlike a ghost runner. Well, guess what? This ghost runner was not thrown out against Ryan Helsley because he did score on a sacrifice fly. Helsley took the loss in that game. For the Giants, Camilo Doval has been used a ton recently, so he was unavailable in this one. Scott Alexander picked up his first save of the season. For Kansas City, Scott Barlow pitched a clean ninth inning with the game tied and then came out for the 10th. He gave up a walk, a single, and then a bases-clearing double to Javier Baez. Barlow took his third loss. For the Dodgers, Evan Phillips entered in the... Fifth inning with runners on first and third, no outs, and a two-run lead. He only allowed one run across. Brewstar Gratterall later recorded the final four outs for his third save of the season. And uh, I kind of feel like the Dodgers... Dodgers bullpen is kind of like the D-backs in that it's kind of unpredictable right now. Uh, I think it, most nights will be, or most days, nights, it will be Evan Phillips, but uh, Gratterall will probably get a few... A few saves as well this year. And then for the Rockies, Pierce Johnson gave up a hit, but picked up his ninth save of the season. Let's get into streamer, not to stream, Scotty for Tuesday. And I did eliminate Matthew Libertor because he's not going to start. Uh, I like Logan Allen up against the White Sox. I like... I think Brian Bayo at the Angels is okay. Angels are a, a tough-ish matchup, but Bayo is pitching well right now. Those are the main two that I like. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there's anybody else I really trust. Yeah, I mean, Kyle Bradish could deliver a quality start at the Yankees, so it's kind of a tough matchup. I get that, but um, you know, he's looked good his last two outings. I think it's between him and Logan Allen, who's actually the best pitcher of this group. So I'll add him as a third name. All right, on Wednesday, I think we both agree that James Paxton and... Michael Kopech are more than streamers, but they are less than 70% rostered. So Paxton at the Angels and Kopech at Cleveland, I think both are fine. And in deeper leagues, Zach Greinke against the Tigers and Matthew Boyd at the Royals, I think are okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. I'm not... Uh, like Kopech's the one I want as bad as the Guardians' offense has been and as well as he's pitched lately. But, you know, it's it's obviously not a must. It's worth reiterating that these streamer pitchers are... We're always making the best of a bad situation here. If you can't go Kopech, my second and third choice would be, I think, the ones you said. Uh, well, Paxton. Did you say Paxton? Yep. Yeah, Paxton and between Boyd and Ryan Weathers, who's at Washington. Okay, let's wrap up with to stream or not to stream. And this one came from Dan on an Apple podcast review. Wizard of Ozzy. Sure. From Doug. Putting out fire with Gonsolin. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Going, making, making, stretching to make Gonsolin sound like gasoline. Correct. And okay. he brought up in the email, he said he, br- he brought up a spirited debate that you had with Al Melchior years ago about uh-huh. Michael Waka. Does this yeah. ring any bells? That's always, that's <laughs> always uh, the association I make with Michael Waka. Yes, it does. <laughs> At the time, uh, I was arguing. So this was, this was back during that uh, run at the start of Ma- Michael Waka's career, the first three years, where he had like a 325 ERA between them, seemed to be a fantasy main, mainstay. That fourth year, he was struggling. Al was saying, you know, Waka's not such hot stuff after all. I was like, no, just look at his track record. Turns out Al was right. 
<laughs> or was he? Mm. Will I get the last laugh? I don't know. I don't even think Mark <laughs> is that great now, but who knows? Yeah. Such a such an interesting roller coaster of a career for Waka, as you mentioned. First three years were really good, and then a 509 ERA, 413, back down to 320 ERA. And then the last two years now, he has an ERA in the threes. So I don't know. It's kind of like a ca- career renaissance. That's, that's our analysis on Michael Waka. I don't know. I don't know. That sounds about right to me. These are from Matt, a Paxton both your housers. A Paxton mm. both your housers. A pox on both your houses. Mm. That works. That's, okay. that's clever. Bybee or not Bybee? That is the question. Bybee or not Bybee? Yeah, I think that's probably, that's probably how you'd have that. to say that. Yeah. Uh, Frambers Romano's Contrarisman, lend me your ears. That's uh, it's going a little far for me. <laughs> I looked this up. I think it was from some kind of Julius Caesar, I think. Yeah, that's it's, what it was. It's, it's stretching the names to oh, make them the words. Gotcha. You know, it's going a little too far as far as that goes. Yeah. Countrymen, Contrarismen. Yeah, it's a little a little stretchy. Uh, Kirilov, Kirilov, My Wayward Son. It's a solid song. You know that song, Scott? Carry yeah. on my wayward sure. son. I don't think Kirilov works there. This... This Matt has a very liberal <laughs> ear in terms of the way he hears words. The last one is a penny for your thoughts. Okay. That one's okay. From Eric. He is a Mariners fan who was hoping for a big year from Robbie Ray and Chris Flexen. So initially the team name was Ray B. Flexen. Now it's Ray not be Flexen. <laughs> okay. There you go. From Neil, the webbing singer. I mean, is that really the best use of the name Web? Probably not. Uh, next one no. is uh, Bednar Time Stories. Okay. I see what he's going for here. <laughs> it's got a whole Adam Sandler theme just for you, Frank. I don't know. Bedtime if- Stories. It's a pretty cute movie, I have to say. I haven't seen it, so. One, I, I- one, one of my... I wouldn't put him in, in my top five Adam Sandler movies, but it wouldn't be far outside of it. I'm trying to think of the last Adam Sandler comedy that I've seen in his filmography. And it would probably be like Grown Ups or I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry. I, I haven't seen any of these like Netflix things or. Yeah, I, I saw what was the one where super serious movie Uncut Gem, but whatever. yeah, that's not a comedy. But that, that doesn't count as an. Adam Sandler movie. Correct. He just happened to act in it. It was a pretty good movie, though. Very anxiety-provoking. This one pretty good. is uh, In Adavino Veritas. In Adavino Veritas. I don't know that I get that one. Yeah. If you don't, you know I don't get it. Uh, <laughs> Webcome to the jungle. To the jungle. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, if you didn't like the webbing singers guy, I don't, I don't know that you're gonna like Webcom to the Jungle. Well, he's abandoned the Adam Sandler theme. I thought I knew what he was doing, but now he's just kind of. You have no idea. Yeah, it's not good. I stopped the sheriff. All right, sure. Why not? <laughs> Teoscar Meyer Weimer. Ooh. <laughs> A lot of bad suggestions, but this might be the suggestion of the night. Although that might be Mayer, right? Is it Marcelo Mayer? Or is it Marcelo Meyer? 
<laughs> I don't know. With prospects, I usually write the name. I don't say it. So when the time comes to say it, I'm a little lost. My Bybee lies over the ocean. Okay. The Grandal Bednarpest Hotel. <laughs> uh, okay. Bednar. All right. Bednarpest. Yeah. I'll allow it. Sixto uh, percent of the time, it works every time. All right. And we're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.